This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. This week, we're getting the band back together after a long holiday hiatus. After some discussion of ice luges, pocket sandwiches, and Mario Kart, we dive into the annually anticipated Lessons Learned Talk To Me Johnny post. Things get a bit philosophical when we talk about the importance of not missing the forest for the trees and how Arnold knew early on that sometimes haters just gonna hate. Later in the show, Tex reminds us why connecting with your athletes is a crucial component to optimizing your coaching impact. This was just one part of his Power Coach Trilogy, a series of premium articles that can be found on PowerAthleteHQ.com. And lastly, did you donate to Wade's Army in 2013? Hear how your direct participation has impacted the lives of 90 little ones. All I want for Christmas is a hot celebrity buddy! It's officially January and that means your gym is jammed up with a mess of resis. Simmer down, skip the throat punches, and if you don't know what a resi is, tune in to episode 89. Yo, what's happening, Power <laughs> Athlete Nation? We got Denny K on the line. I'm sitting here with Luke. What's up? Kelly. Hey. And Tex. Howdy. So, oh, and our always favorite, John Wellborn. Hey, what's happening, Denny? So, what I really want to do is bring the Power Athlete Nation together on this podcast of 2015. So, despite the Bears not doing well this year, we're going to say fuck that, and we're going to get right in to Power Athlete. That's awesome. Sorry, Denny. Denny? Oh, that was good. I mean, thank you. Um, is he even there? <laughs> Fuck it. Denny, thanks for uh, that great introduction. I really appreciate it. And uh, more importantly, uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas for 2015. And we're really excited to kick off this Power Athlete Podcast 2015. Yeah. The new one. To quote Luke Summers, for all you resis out there. Resis. Oh. Uh, well, someone please. Resolutionist. Play. Oh, okay. So Luke has his theory that there's people like there. There's a, well, it's not really a theory. It's more just a set of uh, observations and more like just <laughs> dribble that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> so there's uh, oh, only fire. two things that upset Luke Summers. Mm-hmm. More than nuclear war. One is nuclear war. Carnies? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's resis, which are his resolutionists, the people that like have to wait to the new year. They to curl make... in the squat rack, which happened today this morning. Someone asked us if they could use the squat rack, and I said, oh, sure, well, we could just pop over to this one. And he said, yeah, that's fine. I just want to do some curls. And I literally started laughing because I thought it was <laughs> it a joke. Fast. I thought it was a joke. And, and he's like, uh, and I said, 
no, you need to squat here because we can totally move over. And he's like, no, seriously, I'm just doing curls here. And I was like, wow, it's it's then, happening. So then when he well, came you over, guys weren't squatting today, though. No. 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 Did you literally spit in his face and kick him with the ball? No. But what I was going to say, because the dude came over and uh, later, and we were we were doing some pullovers and some stuff, and we were in front of the preacher curl, like we're pretty close to it. He's like, are you guys on here? And I was be like, uh, yeah, we're squatting here. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't fucking do it. Ah, you missed it. Come I mean, on. Well, I don't know. And the, and the other thing that upsets Luke more than anything is people that are friends of friends, or more importantly, fans of the TV show Friends. Yeah, that's so, because you are the number one fan. Yeah, that's why he accuses me of constantly being a Friends fan, even though I've never seen the show other than so, one time listen, on an airline I watched you, it. Dude, Here's, even uh, if you avoid it, you can't so, so not Luke, watch it. Luke's good friend, Dusty Crackers, loves <laughs> friends. And as a result, Luke has figured out like the lowest common denominator in this world are fans of friends and, and people that make <laughs> New Year's resolutions. Resolutionists. <laughs> Resolutionists. So we have friendsists, friends, no. frenzies. Friends. Frenzies or uh, friendites? Friendsers. Friendsers. Frenziers. <laughs> <laughs> and resolutionists. And resolutionists. Wow. So this is science. Uh, this is observational. That's this is. This that's is, awesome. This is. Hey, the is, time. is my mic working now? It is. Yeah, you're, Welcome. You're, I don't know what happened. Great I don't know what happened, guys. Denny, you it, just got basically raped uh, on this podcast. Well, no, I heard. I heard that. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> I could have done it better myself. <laughs> sound like that? No. No. No, not at all. Unrelated, <laughs> I just come up with my ringtone. <laughs> all I can chalk it up to is it's like 30 below here. So, like, the lines outside of the house are freezing up. They got to be fucking with my laptop. That's got to be it. It could be it the fact that you just bought your laptop eight years ago. Which <laughs> it is it's huge, right? right? I mean, it's like but you it's strap on my back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how was everyone's holiday? Good. And we were trying to accumulate highlights, show-friendly highlights, I should say. Uh, and I have one. Oh, do you? Yeah. I spent one. a large – listen, this is how exciting Caterville is. <clears throat> I spent a large amount of time on New Year's Eve playing Mario Kart 64. Yes. Going undefeated. Undefeated? Undefeated for hours. Drive driving. Best. Right, now, right now, Nate Austin is listening to this going, fuck him, I'll smoke him in Mario Kart. I'll put on a clinic. A clinic. And I'm not like a big gamer, but I can crush myself some First Mario of all, Kart. Mario Kart is not gaming. What? Are you kidding? <laughs> you can't okay, call yourself so, a gamer. So for somebody that has kids and a life and a job, what is Mario Kart? Oh, my God. Everyone knows Nintendo, Mario Kart. Nintendo 64 so game. N64 is one of, like, I think one of the last cartridge games where you've actually put a cartridge in. As and, like, to, flip like, on yeah. and your controls were wired in. And then, like, the whole New Age came, I think. Or no, because then they had GameCube. But that, anyways, it's just fucking little Mario. You know Mario Brothers? You got yeah. Mario, yeah, yeah. Koopa, Luigi, Peach, yeah. all those guys. Basically they get the in a little go-kart. Oh, I remember Mario uh, Brothers, the game. Yeah, I love they, that just, game. they just, you just drive around. But it's driving it's like, around a track. Yeah. And you're just racing. How the fuck do you know what this is? Are you kidding me? Listen, well, I played not, Mario Kart. She doesn't have Kart. a job. She doesn't yeah, have kids. Like, I, or a life. No, yeah, that's true. That's it. Yeah, but it's got a battle mode. Secrets out. Hey, come on. Whoa, not a video podcast. <laughs> Does your mom know you're not wearing makeup out in public? Shh, stop. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. But that was uh, that was my, I guess, 
show friendly highlight. I don't know if anyone can top that. <laughs> oh, well, boy. I can try. Uh, uh, let me see what I uh, highlights that you I went had. To Salt Lake. You yeah. went to Austin for a little oh, while. So, yeah, there's no top in that. <laughs> so we had Christmas at the house, which was pretty hilarious because my one daughter got up really early at like 6.30 in the morning, and I thought she got up to want to open presents, but she got up to want to watch Doc McStuffins. <laughs> so she like came in, and I was like, What's going on? She's like, I want to watch Doc McStuffins. I'm like, okay. So I went and I turned on the TV for her, and she watched easily an hour of Doc McStuffins, like a, two episodes, and just sat there on the couch. And then my other daughter got up, and she came out and was so excited that they were presents. And Jamie, who is so focused on the TV, all of a sudden like looks around and sees the tree, the presents, and is like, I'm like, what, you were up for an entire hour on Christmas <laughs> morning and didn't notice the scooters that Santa brought you or any of the presents or anything? Mother daughter got up and she was so excited. And then she like ran over and the little push scooters to Santa bottom. She like jumped on hers and then Jamie got all nervous and was like looking around and jumped out. And then I was like, this kid, what? I'm like, what kid wakes up and just wants to watch Doc McStuffin? So she got to watch a Doc McStuffin show. So we opened that up. They got these little scooters. <laughs> we rode those around, which was pretty nice. And then, um, uh, I cooked, uh, smoked, uh, did uh, two prime ribs on the big green egg. The family came over, <laughs> drank a bunch of eggnog, cleaned up. Roger came, my brothers, everybody had a great time. And then uh, we got up the next morning and flew to Austin, Texas, where we hung out for five days. Uh, hit the Salt Lake, hit about every barbecue spot. Found this really great place called Torchy's Tacos, where uh, I was... Oh, yeah. You, you know, like um, in you California, like when you go and get a taco, it's like, you know, I'm like, a, you know, you probably got to eat like 10 of them just because they're not that big. So I go in and I order like 10 torchies and the guy like gives me this like kind of funny look. And I'm like, why are they spicy? He's like, well, kind of. I'm like, all right. They bring me over this like mess of tacos. And I'm like, oh, my God. So we each have like I had two. The kids had like shared one and Kate had one. So we had a bunch of tacos and um, just hung out, drove around, went and checked out, uh, uh, you know, locations for maybe potential um you know, you guys have obviously seen uh, Stone Cold Steve Optin's, um, you know, what is it, Broken Skull Ranch. Mm -hmm. So now we're looking for Power Athlete Ranch where we can put up a pole barn and, and have a, a pit and stuff. So we've been kind of maybe looking for some places to have a, a, an alternate location. So for, for anybody that, you know, is any preppers or Armageddon people out there, that'll be our <laughs> rally point. We'll be somewhere in Austin near the river. Jeez. So, it's really, rally point Zulu. Yeah, yeah. And I'll offer it, well, we're going to call it actually uh, – uh, uh, brain cloud ranch mm -hmm. because if you get close enough Red to read, cloud. yeah, cloud yeah, if, if you get close enough to read the sign, you'll see a brain cloud from the 300 wind mag that gets you at a thousand yards. Jesus. So, uh, no, we, we drove around with the kids, uh, checked it out. Uh, you know, I, I have a bunch of friends that live there. One of my buddies, uh, Todd White, who's um, those of you guys who are big into art, Todd's a pretty famous artist and he just moved out there, so we went to play with his kids and then uh visit you know to jeff gonzalez and we were trying to get over to where harry shaw was at but we were uh, uh, a little disposed so had a great time and got home new year's eve and where i went to bed at nine o'clock at night on new year's because uh we were so tired and the kids were tired so so i think so, yeah, i i had some uh i had some trouble explaining like how much i was eating how big i've gotten and just 22 jack street to my family <laughs> so i got i got five sisters and they all are like 90 pounds and basically five foot tall so they just we're almost disgusted about the amounts I was eating. Yeah, Tex, I did put on a clinic as well. Uh, my mom traditionally cooks for an army, and there's the family's dwindled down quite a bit. Now it's just maybe five of us, and we always have leftovers. And I must have crushed, like, 
easily two and a half pounds. Easily two and a half pounds of just meat. And that doesn't, my dad oh my goes, God. what my dad did mention, he goes, I don't think I've ever seen anyone eat five sweet potatoes. Oh <laughs> well, it's because nobody has ever eaten five sweet potatoes. Dude, I smashed it. That's a good point. The first thing my mom said when she picked me up, she's like, you look bigger. I'm like, oh, thanks, mom. You know, uh, I think that you and Tex should probably give us a 20 minute rundown of everything you guys ate. Just because I want to hear the whimpers minutes. and the cries of Kelly Hinsman over here, who <laughs> actually for uh, Christmas dinner had a saltine. Yeah. And New Year's Eve oh, uh, didn't eat for three days so she could have uh, two rum chattas <laughs> on New Year's Eve. And oh, uh, you know what? She's still paying for those rum chattas. <laughs> a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the highlight of my New Year's Eve was taking shots of Bailey's, which everyone thought was weird, but I just wanted to do because it tasted like melted ice cream. And I was like, if you can't eat it, you can drink it. <laughs> we had from the a, bottle. Yeah, from the bottle. We had an ice luge at the party, and I had never used one of those before. Um, so that's how, that's how Stella got her groove back? That's how Stella got her groove back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bailey's down the ice luge. Yeah. Tex and I, Tex and I frequented the ice luge quite a bit. We, they had, it had like two lanes, so you could race like the person next to you. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, and let me just tell you, an ice luge does not make like, you know, vodka taste better in any way. Like you would think. It, it makes Bailey's taste like ice cream. Oh, that's true. That's true. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, I, the another highlight of the trip is just when Tex showed up to this party that, uh, myself and Bobby Goodfellow and a bunch of other, uh people that we that we used to work out with in D.C. were at the party, but Tex shows up, and out of nowhere, we're in the middle of a conversation, and he pulls a half of a sandwich out of his pocket. <laughs> it's a pocket of, sandwich. That's out, a raffy move. Out, you know what? That's what I call commitment. Out of the pocket of his very nice, like, dress it's, suit It's a party pocket. blazer. It's yeah. not. A, it's not nice. It's my party blazer. Well, I didn't know what the hell it was, He's but I was like in dead in dead in my tracks. Like, what the fuck is that? What kind of sandwich? It text? was like an egg salad, like oh, chicken salad. Chicken salad. It and, would have been great if it was like PB and PB. Yeah. You should have just gone straight Rafi and done hot dogs. And then and then pocket dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and then about five minutes later, he pulls out the other half, and uh, uh, you know, you you got to keep a constant stream of nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. I think that I asked him, I was like, so how, like, I mean, wh why do you even have like a 7-Eleven sandwich in your pocket? And you were like, I didn't have any time. So I made the cab driver stop the 7-Eleven to get a pocket sandwich. It's commitment. It's, it's commitment. You know what? Like, that's the type of people you we gotta need, want it. you know? Like, just like we always talk about, there's a chicken and the pig. Go on. The chicken contributed. The pig was committed in okay. terms of breakfast. Oh, I get it. Tech Texas is a pig. Um, Don't be a chicken. Is is that going to be on the 2015 lessons learned? Oh my god. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to hold that one off for uh, for maybe next year. Or you know what? I might just start writing these things like every week. Every okay. time you learn a lesson. Every time I learn something, I'm going to write it. Okay. So here. <laughs> Danny, how about you, buddy? Uh, you know what? Have you guys heard the game Cards Against Humanity? Of yes. course. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay, so. I'd never heard of it till uh, my older daughter pulled it out. We were sitting at my uh, my mom's dinner table, Christmas Eve, big feast, oh, sweet chow, and then uh, this game comes out, and uh, we were doing some shots, had a couple cocktails, and I had never heard of it, so we kind of partnered up and uh, played that game. It, it was 
we had a blast, man. That was probably the highlight of it. Um, you, yeah, that, drinks in there, you can come up with some pretty raunchy answers. Yeah, that game's fun, but I'll tell you, we, we played that game as well at uh, the New Year's Eve party that uh, that we were at, <laughs> crushing Mario Kart, for the record. Uh, but we played with some friends, like people you don't really know. And it's not nearly as funny when you don't have funny people playing. Yeah. But when you're on like, like-minded humor with a yeah. close group of friends, it's it's pretty good. I, I yeah. played with... Yeah, I, I played it with uh, Rob Wolf and his wife and uh, Charles Mayfield and a couple people at uh, Rob Wolf's house. And we were up in Reno a couple uh, last month, and uh, it was pretty funny. Uh, I, I actually ended up being the winner, and I'm like, figure something well, only one with a weirder sense of humor. So <laughs> that that would actually make a great podcast if we just uh, just played Cards Against Humanity and recorded it. People would buy it. Oh, count it. What if we made our own Cards of Humanity, we made Cards of Power Athlete? Oh, my God. Now you're thinking. There's some other game that it's similar to. Um, I couldn't – I can't remember the name of it, but uh, when they were explaining the game to me, they're like, well, have you ever played, you know, XYZ? And I was like, no. <laughs> Primal? Uh, <laughs> Maybe it was that. Did he, are you Polish? I am. Uh, so like what like what's the uh, like what's the big like traditional like uh, like Polish kind of foods for you guys? It's like um, like uh, God, what are they called? Uh, Dude, I I'm not that Polish. Like I don't have a <laughs> well, like, I know some I, old Polak like, 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 like some uh, kielbasa. I, and, I I used to play with a guy Doug Brzezinski who obviously is a Pole. Uh, with the name like Brzezinski, and I remember uh, like he was like um, uh, like pierogies and like all these mm. like, different Polish foods. This stuff was always pretty delicious. I yeah. love yeah, I, I had pierogies for breakfast. You yeah. did lunch. not. Do you want some, Kelly? You did not. <laughs> so, I got yeah, some like... in my pocket right now. <laughs> no. Well, you know, <laughs> pocket like, pierogies. I, I, I just didn't know if you guys did anything like traditional, like when no. I was on uh, when, when I was on the East Coast, um, having you know grown up in California and uh, you know. <clears throat> Like you kind of lose every ethnicity out here because it just kind of melts into this California deal. But when I lived on the East Coast, uh, you know, the Italian thing was like the Feast of Seven Fishes was like the big thing on New Year's Eve or on Christmas Eve. So uh, I got invited to this um, uh, this girl's house and she invited me over and her family had done it. It was pretty awesome. So the next year I was alone on Christmas Eve because we had practice the next day because we were flying out to play a game the day after. And so I was just kind of chilling. And so I actually made the Feast of Seven Fishes for me and my pit bull bear. And uh, we had this, like, epic feast. And I, like, I got shrimp. I got lobster. I got all these foods. I cooked it up. And we had this, like, epic dinner. And it was me and bear. I fed bear. And uh, he threw up everywhere the entire time. Oh, night. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, a little lobster, a little shrimp. He'll be fine. He'll puke there. Look at your feeding your dog lobster. <laughs> Did you have lobster? This I had some pocket lobster. conversation. <laughs> is over <laughs> well bear is uh bear was my best friend i'll tell you you know what and anybody that got to meet bear would know he'd gladly feed the lobster i love yeah. that but true he's a great dog i guess with uh with the closing the year in mind jay welly you came up with your lessons learned sure i you know uh, like this thing kind of randomly started and like, I, I went into the history when i did the lessons learned on where it started and where it came from it like I, you know, and people always kind of equate it with the end of the year. And if you know, when I wrote that lesson or the, the 42 things I learned leading up to it, uh, I actually wrote it in February. And it was because 
you know, we were so packed. I mean, there was just so much going on at the time. I didn't have time, but I remember sitting down and being like, man, I really have to like uh, knock out all these questions. And if you go back and look, read, talk to me, Johnny, there was a couple times where I just like shotgun answered a whole bunch of questions at once. So as I sat down and started writing out like, hey, this barrage, I got to like the third one and it was like, hey, how about an end of the year wrap up? And I thought, man, that's great. And actually reading all of those questions and everything that some people had submitted to talk to me, Johnny, I just went through and, and kind of like one word answered, like, okay, this question, boom, boom, boom. And all of those questions became the lessons learned or the uh, 42 things I learned. So I wrote it and like, like even you read in the lessons learned, it was pretty polarizing. I mean, we have so much traffic. It was like 75,000 hits in 24 hours and like, you know, like 48 hours, we were at 125,000. I mean, it just exploded. And to this day, we still get a lot of uh, feedback on it. And as a result, I still get a lot of emails. People still quote it. They still like it. And so I think it's become a little bit of a tradition. So this year I was uh, working on it. And when I sat down to write the original one, it just flowed out like in like an hour, like 45 minutes, bang, it was done. This thing took me a couple hours to write, which is usually uncharacteristic. And as I poured through it, uh, it just was all the things that were really kind of the focus of this year and really kind of the, the things that I embraced. And, um, uh, you know, anybody that's listening to this that was actually at our Power Athlete Symposium would know the talk that I gave a little bit on, uh, you know, leadership and ethics and culture and, and all those. The one that really was uh, really spoke to me was don't miss the forest for the trees. That idea that you have to be able to see the bigger picture. And I think people so lose sight of that uh, because uh, it's kind of like um, the analogy I, I was actually talking with Rob Wolf this morning about was, uh, you know, you present somebody like, hey, here's this cake or let's say it's a, a brownies or a cake or okay. something else that Callie would really like to be eating right now. And you taste it and it's amazing. And, and you ask for the recipe, right? And like you look at the, uh, at the recipe and you kind of set it all up. And you kind of forget that, like, you know, all of these ingredients go in to make something bigger. And it's like, can you see the cake? Or are you just so focused on the recipe and the ingredients? And I can see the cake. Yeah, you know, okay. Kelly can see the cake. It's a beautiful cake. <laughs> but that idea of, like, uh, you know, and when we run into this so much in the strength conditioning and, like, uh, you know, this like training program we do for Field Strong across the football, that people get so stuck in the individual kind of minutiae of everything that they never see the bigger picture. That like, hey, you know, the reason that, uh, you know, like, okay, like, you know, what accessory work should I do? Well, okay, well, what are you trying to do? Like if Luke says, hey, we, we did a bunch of back stuff today and my pole's really suffering. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? Yes. Is it going to lead? Is the sum of the parts going to lead to, a, uh, you know, uh, you know, the complete package and, and where he's going? We hope. But ultimately, we don't know because nothing exists in a vacuum. So I think, like, whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, whether it's life, no matter what it is, I think the ability to stand back and see the bigger picture and to kind of understand how to navigate what you're looking to do um, becomes so important that I think people get so stuck in these individual things. Well, you know what, like this program doesn't have one arm dumbbell rows. So then therefore it's not going to help me because this guy does one arm dumbbell rows. Well, you know what, that guy isn't you and you kind of fit into it. So I think, um, it's funny. Yeah. People, um, like to kind of elaborate on the stuck in minutia. It's funny. Like when people either they're looking at a program or a diet protocol and they have in mind, like the results that they want to see, but they're shooting down every program that doesn't have, like you said, dumbbell row or whatever it is what happens is they never actually take action because of that. So they're never actively a part of the process of trying to get 
you know, trying to get to that goal, what happens is they just inhibit themselves because all they're seeing are the barriers um, yeah. or it, the minutia. Yeah. yeah, it's self self-made paralysis. Um, you know, the uh, like like the, the one that Rob and I were talking about today um, is, you know, yeah, people that are you know, big into the low carb camp. Like, let's say, you know, hey, I'm a low carb guy, I'm a low carb guy. Well, what if low carb doesn't work for you? Well, then you did low carb wrong. Um, never realizing that we're all individual organisms. And you know what, the thing that I've come to the conclusion is that everybody runs a little bit different. And, you know, what we've been really testing here with our 22 Jack Street is we all pick different protocols uh, to try to reach our end goals. Uh, you know, Callie doing um, like a more kind of 40-30-30 kind of more zone-ish deal. Luke doing a little isocaloric, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, calorie for me. I've been doing, you know, a, a little, you know, with the calorie reduction and, uh, you know, some anabolic stuff where we're, you know, carb cycling. We all chose different diets and are trying to get to our, you know, the results that we said 22 or 10 weeks ago that we would get to. And who knows? at the end of the day, if those are the right approaches, but you have to tinker and you have to You tweak. have to see it through. Well, you, you have to see it through and you have to run something. So yeah. you know what? Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to see how it goes. You know, and if all of a sudden it falls off the rails, like nothing falls off the rails after six days. I mean, this is something that, oh, you know, I, I you know, like one day later, like I don't think anything happens that quickly. So, you know, with training programs too, like I think you have to look at the bigger picture, like, okay, does, um, and, and really that's why I write in terms of templates. So like if you look in, you know, some of the stuff I put out with the power athlete template, if you look at that general template, it's, uh, you know, volume intensity, it kind of fits all the pieces. And for me looking at it, that program would look and be like, okay, that's a complete training program. It's got what I want to do. It's uh, a mix of volume and intensity. It's a uh, primal movements. It's upper body pulling, upper body pushing. It's, uh, you know, lunge, step, squat, it's sprint, it's plyos, it's, uh, uh, you know, you know, multi-planes of motion. I mean, all the things that I would look for in a training program, it fits for the deal. I've looked at other training programs and thought, oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't fit within what I'm looking for, but it's because I see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, how do you really know something works unless you test it? I mean, um, you know, like uh, I remember four or five years ago, Jim Wendler's 531 came out. And yeah, I mean, I, I know what I like to do and I tried the program. And we found uh, the program worked very well for some things. We didn't get the same goals in the other. We made tweaks and we found a way to kind of skin that program to really make it uh, work for us. And it started looking like a lot of the things that we do. So uh, I think everything has validity, everything works. You just have to understand how it all fits together. And more importantly, you just can't get so stuck. Like, oh, um, what if I eat? 40% protein, 25% carb, 35% fat. Is it going to be better if I eat? Is that 5% really going to make that, you know, that massive a difference? And the grand scheme of things is just the fact that you're being consistent with uh, with your meals, your plans, your times. And then you know what? It's consistency the key. That's another one which I've, I've uh, started to really start to understand that going in day in and day out and eating the exact same amount of calories and the exact same macronutrient profile day in and day out, I think becomes detrimental at some point. And I think you have sure. to, you know, you got to cycle your carbs, you got to cycle your total caloric intake. I mean, that's where you even go back as far. And if those of you guys listen to uh, Dr. Fred Hatfield, we never even got a chance to get into a zigzag diet. If you guys want to do a little Googling on the, on the Google box on the line, 
you can um, look at the zigzag diet and it was the same type of deal. You know, the idea of like, you know, zigzagging the calories, you know, higher, lower, you know, playing with different things and realizing that, you know, you have to be able to tweak and, and uh, Morrow is a great example. If you guys go back and read Morrow's anabolic diet, um, he talks about the basic premise, the basic template of his diet, and then talks about a hundred different ways to skin it that based on the results you're looking for, try this, try this, try this, try this, because not, there's not one thing. It's like not, it's like saying like 40, 30, 30, you know, uh, 12 calories per pound of body weight. You eat this exact same deal and you get the same deal. I mean, Dr. Inkladon, another one that we had on, he made another great comment once to me that if you want to guarantee uh, food allergy and inflammation, eat the exact same foods at the exact same times in the exact same amounts every single day. That you have to eat for variety, you have to rotate your foods. And like us as creatures of habit, I would eat the exact same meal for every meal for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's so much easier. Yeah, it's simple. I'm not the thing. It's like Einstein. Einstein had one outfit. Do you ever notice uh, um, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Zuckerman, same deal. You ever notice he's always in the same same deal? Because they just take that equation out. I don't want to think about what I wear. Just give me the same clothes I wear them every day. Just give me 10 different outfits. Yeah. So the moral of the story is be, you know, be the captain on the top of the ship, be able to see where it's going. Just don't be the crew in there, you know, with your face in the, uh, you know, in, in the engine room, just kind of punching it along. So, so let's go to this, let's go to this quote. Uh, remember you, you earn jealousy where like a badge of honor. Um, what prompted that? So those of you guys know, I've always been a big fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, for more than various reasons, uh, you know, first of all, I've always loved pumping iron. I love the persona that he created in pumping iron, but what I've always respected from people is the ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The person who came here with nothing and made themselves into something like, um, I've, you know, Bill Clinton for all his, uh, I don't know, uh, deceit, lies, and basically just outward, just craziness. Uh, the reason I always respected Bill Clinton was the fact that that guy came from nothing, pulled himself up by, by his bootstraps, and, and was able to work his way up to president of the United States. Arnold Schwarzenegger, another deal, comes over here as a bodybuilder, gets into this, comes to, rises to the top of uh, you know professional bodybuilding, pumping iron, gets into movies. Guy can't speak well, works with. Um, that's our buddy, uh, 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 Arthur, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, from, uh, vocal awareness, yeah, vocal awareness, uh, Arthur Joseph and learns to speak well and gets into these movies, takes this little, you know, number called Terminator, turns it in, goes to command on me and is able to do this and works himself up to becoming governor of the state of California and, uh, you know, multi, multi-millionaire. Uh, you know, if you go back and read a little history on him, like, uh, you know, somebody told him he got to own property. And so every dollar he made, he bought a building. I mean, he's a huge landowner, just a lot of respect for him. So having always been an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, and, uh, you know, even though I didn't like a lot of his politics in the state of California, I, I, you know, that didn't really mean I didn't like him. So that quote is attributed to Arnold where he said, you know, uh, everybody pities the weak. Jealousy, you have to earn. Do you <clears throat> attribute that to some aspect of your personal life or power athlete or what? I mean, what in what relation did that like really strike a chord with you? Well, I think it's like it's we're an Internet company, so we ultimately we're subject we get to trolled. yeah we're yeah. subject to trolling on other people's forums and shit like that and i mean we have friends out there and stuff too but 
you gotta guess that a lot of the shit that we get, and I can't, nothing comes off the top of my head. I mean, there's been forums yeah. that we battled with CrossFit football and uh, that sort of <laughs> stuff, but. Well, I mean, and, and a big part of this, too, goes back, um, you know, and I was reminded a little bit of the quote from the 48 Laws of Power, that being attacked is a sign you're actually important enough to be a target. So for those of you guys that are looking for your reading list, um, I think I listed 48 Laws of Power, which has yep. been uh, a manual for me and also for the coaches for so long. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I haven't forced you guys to read it, I, uh, I need to force you guys to read it. But it was something that was given to me, I think, in 2009. And I sat down to read it, and I think like 18 hours later, I came up for air, and I literally laughed and didn't even know the time had passed. But really, that book, um, you know, and that idea that you know, people do throw stones at things that you know, like like a bright shiny things. People want to break things down. People always want to attack things. And I think what happens is is that. Uh, you know, the minute that somebody goes and curb stomps you, I mean, imagine the girl or the guy who like starts this new blog and I'm going to take on the world and I'm going to do this. And then some dude comments like, you're a fucking tool. This fucking sucks. I hope you kill yourself. And like all of a sudden the person's like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. You know, that happens on CrossFitFootball.com like all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, like all the new people coming around asking questions. Well, it did happen. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was it was worse. Oh, yeah, um, you know, there there was. I mean, like, CrossFit football was a mean, dangerous place that was that was trolled <laughs> by like some serious fucking thugs. And uh, it's a kind of gentler place, but occasionally those thugs will <coughs> return and yeah, fucking crimp stomp people, yeah, and they get butt hurt. What? Yeah. And you have to remember, like. There's like, a degree of yeah, like I mean, but uh, a, a lot of that stuff is uh, you know like taking the piss out of them, being uh, you know just taking some shots. But really, like if you, like what what actually struck me was uh, um, somebody like you know like something on Facebook. I clicked on a link and this dude like you know squatting like you know 800 pounds and had a pretty nice squat. Uh, actually, I think it was um, uh, whatever uh, bio lane uh, lane. Uh, um, Lane Norton, and so Lane Norton's a doctor down in Tampa, Florida. We should hit him up to get him on the podcast. You know, pretty sharp dude, power lifter, um, like you know, pretty jacked. Uh, he's uh, pretty long legged. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say he's got massive legs, but the dude's got a pretty you know 600 pound squat for reps. And if you watch him squat, it's pretty ripped toe. You know, he's got a lot of back angle, but it, it fits because, uh, you know, he's super long-legged, yeah. and that allows him, like the way he kind of, you know, carries the bar, allows him to keep it over the center of his foot, and he kind of good morings the weight, but the guy squats deep as shit. And uh, the guy, like, posts up a video. I mean, this guy's a doctor. He's, uh, you know, a huge internet site, a lot of followers, you know, competes in powerlifting, does all this. And these unnamed internet YouTubers or people are like commenting on a squat. Well, maybe if you weren't fucking dump, dropping your chest in the bottom of the squat. I mean, you know, they're you know, like fucking riding this dude. And uh, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, like this who is takes a... the time out? Well, yeah, like, first of all, who has the time and who would actually look at it and be like, yeah, I'm such a fucking expert that I'm going to like, you know, point a finger and tell this guy, you know, how it is. And I just, I literally like sh kind of shook my head and I was like, yo man. And whenever I hear that stuff, all I think of is Arnold Steele. It's like everybody pities the week. You see some poor guy in there who barely is squatting 95 pounds. Everybody's like, Oh, you know what? You know, he, he's doing his best. He's trying this. And you got some other dude who's squatting 600 at body weight at 200 pounds for reps. And uh, you know, he's, and if you know shit about lifting weights or more importantly squatting and we do, cause we teach it so much, but just like everything, like he's like missing the forest for the trees. Like 
And, and uh, the guys on this podcast will know, like when we go out and we teach the squat, everybody has a slightly different squat because everybody is basically built different, which is their anthropometric ratios. Yeah, so anthropometric ratios, right? If you have an extremely long femur or a long, you know, shin, and you know you have a torso like a, uh, uh, you know, a like, giraffe. Yeah. Well, or yeah, like 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 a really short torso, long leg where you like look like a spider. Dude, you're going to have to carry the bar in a different position. You're going to have to, you know, get a little more chest lean. Now, if you have, you know, two-inch long legs and a seven-foot-long torso where, you know, you just kind of squat down one inch and you bury and you're, you know, ass to ankles, uh, you know, obviously you're going to have a more vertical back angle. So I, I think just looking at that, I was like, dude, who the fuck are these people? And then it reminded me of the NFL. And I, I used to... You know, in the NFL, uh, the media the, is allowed access, is guaranteed access to the locker room for, I think it's three hours a day. Uh, it's uh, at lunch while we were getting ready to go out to practice. And then after uh, practice, they would come in and there was like media days. They could be at the, at the you know, for the field, like they'd be out there and pre uh, pre-practice and then they'd all get booted out. So there was very, very real times so the media was accessed. And... Uh, Every time that the media was around you was at some point where you were trying to get dressed. So like the media would come in just as we got out and you're going in there and you're, you know, wearing your, you know, t-shirt sweats or whatever. And then you got to get into your practice stuff. So like, you know, there's like, th you know, 300 people standing around with a microphone in your face when you're trying to, you know, constantly get dressed. And so we just got to the point where we just got naked. <laughs> and you just interview you and like you know it's like you know there might be 300 people and 50 of them are women and you know that's the way it works and then after practice you take off your stuff the media's in there you're getting in and out of the showers and it's just like how it happens but i remember like they used to always have like coffee and donuts and different stuff you see the media dudes just out there just fucking horsing this stuff and they come in and ask you all these questions and then all of a sudden you'd see something in some deal where the dude just eviscerate you and i always remember thinking like like, Jesus Christ, like, I, I, I realize it, but it's just like, you know, I realize that's their job to just, you know, be mean and hurtful and to fucking attack people. Vultures. But like, Jesus Christ, like, if you're going to come in here and fucking tear me to pieces, at least don't waddle in here, you know? So <laughs> it, it just kind of, it, it just reminded me a lot of that stuff where it's like, you know, you guys are sports writers because, um you know, who knows, I you know, what, whatever your job was, but I just thought it was. Uh, you know, that their job to be honest and eviscerate people. And I just, just never sat well with me. So, yeah, I, I really like this, uh, this lesson. And it just reminded me a lot, just thinking back uh, uh, coaches. I know John, you and I have had a conversation about like the, my experiences at Georgetown. Those guys saw me leaving on a weekend to go teach for CrossFit football. And they'd see us doing seesaw walks with the team and every, uh, that I was working with. And they would just, uh, they would bash CrossFit. They would bash me because of a, just their own interpretation of whatever CrossFit is, instead of sitting down and conversing and seeing, trying to see what I'm traveling for or, you know, teaching with the seesaw walk or athletic position. So this one really connected to me, and I saw a lot of connections between uh, this one in particular and the forest and the trees and even, even speed. So I really thought this one, uh, it was good for number four to tie it all together. Uh, what did you like about the the speed comment, Tex? Um, the uh, coaches love numbers. So whether it's uh, the football coach coming down and asking for the number sheet and uh, the speed, it becomes like the purpose. It becomes the the coach's 
is his way of saying my program's working. So it's not relying on a squat number. It's not relying on forced anything. It's I don't care what a squat is. I have my stopwatch that says his 40 time or his 5105 time or his his speed times improving. Why do we have to worry about the numbers written on the sheet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like that nice marriage of seeing results through all of the strength training, the power training. If someone needs to see a number to to ensure performance, and that's you know that's something that you can lean on. Yeah. For defending, you know, the seesaw walks or the uh, just the focus on posture and position versus the rah rah stuff. Sure. Well, well I mean, Tex, you really ran into it with Georgetown, where uh, those guys, you know, were almost guarding their little fiefdom, and they're you know almost kind of. Um, pretty nervous that anybody with a brain would come in and show that what they were doing was inept. And, you know, the, the, the thing we've always really, you know, realized, especially in the strength conditioning world is the people that don't know guard what they don't know. Like it's, you know, like yeah. it's a fucking treasure. Sure. And it's um, like, you know, to the thing where you always think is, um, like you never stop learning and, mm -hmm. You know, here I am at age 37, uh, you know, going on 38 where, you know, uh, lessons learned. Like, I still am learning things daily. I still talk to my dad, and I'm always like, Dad, you, you know, you learn anything lately? Like, is there anything new that just, you know, blew your mind or more importantly you didn't know? And my dad at age 77 is still like, dude, like this blew my mind. Like, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't know this, and, you know, I changed this. I, I remember um, an example was... I asked my dad a little bit about, uh, you know, overcrowding in the jails and, uh, you know, like those of you guys don't know, my dad um, has been a practicing attorney in, in Los Angeles since the early 60s. So my dad graduated high school pretty young, uh, like 15, 16 years old, and then went to college and he got his law degree and has been practicing attorney for over 50 years. And when my dad started practicing law, uh, the jails were pretty un um, there weren't like they weren't packed up like it was uh kind of an interesting phenomenon and he was you know uh, my dad grew up in culver city and you know places like uh compton and watts and those you know places which would be considered tough areas of la now were white middle class neighborhoods where my dad grew up in, in la so I, I asked him you know where did things start how did this all go down and my dad made an interesting thing he said you know richard nixon declared the war on drugs and really made drug uh you know like drug offenses, like uh, felonies. And he goes, at that point, you know, things that was look like these things went from being a social problem to being a criminal enterprise and a criminal problem. And he goes, all of a sudden, he goes, it was like an explosion. And all of a sudden, uh, he remembers the, the, the time period when crack cocaine hit the streets. And I asked him a little bit about it. I was like, Dad, do you remember uh, when cocaine went, oh, you know, it was marijuana, cocaine, and, you know, some heroin and stuff like that? He's like, yeah. He goes, things were... Uh, Things were interesting, but he goes, you know, I remember the month that crack cocaine became a something in L.A. He goes, it went from like these little offenses to all of a sudden people getting gunned down in the streets, drug dealers. He goes, it was literally like like flipping a switch. Crack hit the streets and it exploded L.A. And he goes, he goes all of a sudden uh, you couldn't create jails fast enough. And he goes, uh, and I asked him, I was like, well, what's the fix? He's like, honestly. He goes, um, you have to create treatment centers and you have to legalize the drugs. And if people want to do them, you, you know, that's their prerogative. They're going to have to do it. He goes, it's become such an epidemic that we're warehousing people. And he goes, after 50 years, he goes, I don't see a way to fix it based on today. And I was like, shit, that's a, uh, 
that's an interesting perspective on it. And he goes, I, I, I just don't know how to fix the problem. But he goes, you know, jails and criminal sense going to jail, doing all these things, all these penalties we put on, no longer, uh, like, no longer a deterrence. And he goes, they, they just don't exist. They don't work. And um, he goes, it's because the jail system is built up on this white middle class, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, you know, uh, you know, moral code. And he goes, it no longer exists. And he goes, it's it's broken, and they have to figure out a way to do it. And I was like, well, what's the fix? He's like, well, thank God I won't won't be alive to have to worry about that. <laughs> so, you know, there's my dad at 77 who still is trying to learn something and figure it all out, and still works five six days a week, and still you know tries has a full amount of cases because he's like, there's you know a lot of bad people in the world, and I got to represent them. So it's funny. I was talking to uh, a few Division One players. Uh, I think from LSU when I was in, in DC and uh, football players and they were telling me that their coaches, like they'll ask them like, Hey coach, like, what are we doing today? What's for conditioning, whatever and the coaches are like, you'll find out like, they'll just like, they have no concept and they are starting to question their coaches as to, you know, where, where the program's going, where their training's going. And it's, I guess there are a number of athletes that are sort of like, disconcerted by that because uh they feel like uh you know there's some there's always such turnover with college coaches but they feel like maybe you know that there's not a system in place and it's like uh it's like a free-for-all like what do we do for conditioning you'll find out well well we'll see you know like, well the uh, uh college coaches have this or actually this is football coaches in general there's this mushroom philosophy and i've told you guys the mushroom philosophy just do shrooms and then that's how they come up with conditioning <laughs> pretty much <laughs> No, the uh, mushroom philosophy, and there was actually a offensive line deal called the Mushroom Society, where you keep people in the dark and feed them shit. Mm -hmm. That's how you grow mushrooms. So there's this attitude in football that uh, you keep people in the dark and you feed them shit. So that means like, don't worry about what you're fucking doing today. Yeah. You just show up and do what I tell you. Yeah. And instead of, and like, what is that? That's basically making, uh, you know, we can go back to the first part of this whole deal. Miss the forest for the trees. Well, that's forcing people to fucking miss the forest. Yeah. So instead of, you know, coming in, and I, I remember uh, that's kind of a little bit of what, you know, as a young guy coming into college, that was a little bit about, you know, when we came in, it was like uh, we just came in every day and there was some something written on the board and that's what we did or we handed you a program or, and it was written. And then I remember Todd Rice came in and he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do for the next amount of weeks. We're going to do this and then we're going to do this and we're going to do this and this is how the programming lets and this is what I need you to do and you're, you know, uh, you know, this sucks. You need to do this. And he helped everybody reach all of these different goals because he, uh, you know, created accountability by cluing you in on what the yeah. fuck is going and on. And that empowers people to, to have buy-in and it empowers uh, your performance. Empowers your performance. It empowers your performance. Hashtag. So it's it's a little bit of um, you know being able to bring people into it. And I think what we do, uh, or I do, or we, however you want to look at it, the 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 royal we. <laughs> To quote Luke Summers, uh, you know, a big part of the reason I write the narratives a way I do on Field Strong is I want you to know exactly what I want out of this. I'm not going to just write up a thing and say, hey, figure this out yourself. You, you get narratives. This is what I want you to do. If I say I want you to do 10 reps, I want you to do 10 reps. And because we're going to go up here, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. If it's compensatory acceleration, I want you to move that bar as fast as possible. I mean, all of these things come into play because, like, that is the way that you not only create accountability, but like clue people in and bring them in and put your arm around them and say, hey, you're on my team. You know what? This is what you're doing. You're just not following this mindless yeah, program. Finally. Investment and, comes from understanding. Yep. It's a perfect segue, Tex. 
uh, if anybody hasn't read the article, make sure you guys subscribe to Talk to Me, Johnny. Um, you know, the link is all over Power Athlete, but uh, just look for the Lazy Eye Skull <laughs> and then subscribe to all the posts there. Um, but yeah, let's let's segue into uh, just like a like an overview of your third installment of the Power Coach articles. Thanks. Oh yeah, so this this one actually comes from spending some time with Raf and then just looking back and reflecting on. Uh, a lot of the stuff and conversations that I have with John and just observing and not taking full advantage of uh, at Georgetown and then really taking advantage of at Texas because I was so low on the totem pole that I could actually have a formal conversation and see what the players and athletes thought of the training. I could make connections with, with them and uh, kind of take advantage of that. So I would just work with the walk-ons, work with the bottom of the bell curve and get them going because – they were completely ignored by those coaches. So it's about taking that idea and then applying it to a whole team. So you're not just relying on your starting quarterback to be a leader. You are instilling leadership into a whole team through tools that you're using in coaching and training. So it's uh, just a way to get your message across the board and invest it in because you have a uh, just a connection with these guys. You're still in an authoritative position, but they kind of see you as an almost equal or um, just are in a position to listen to you because, you, I mean, you know what they're majoring in. You know what they're studying. They know what they're doing, all this, that. So um, it's uh, – and then a lot of Jedi mind tricks that I, I was forced into uh, just with Raph. So just a, a really uh, emotional connection overall article – and how to take that next step as a strength and conditioning coach, because it's it's not about the, the program on the piece of paper. Like John writes in the narratives for Field Strong for a purpose, you feel connection. I, I mean, uh, when we were out in Germany, we had an athlete who's on Field Strong, and he said, you know what? If I read the narrative, I attack the training, I feel like I'm almost, I don't want to let you down. So hearing that, the guy's freaking 5,000 miles away, and he's still emotionally connected to Field Strong. Uh, the training and all that. So it was very cool and uh, definitely was thinking about during the writing. Tex, what would you say to a coach who says uh, that that connection is is an obsolete piece? Like it's it's uh, if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, that's fine. What would you say to that person? Uh, they're not optimizing their athlete's performance. So they're, they're not going to be as successful as they could potentially be. I mean, and that's going to be a hard nose, you know, the old scabs who just have their way and do it their way. Uh, you know, those guys are lucky if they get a connection from their athletes. It, I think today we have are the younger coaches that we're meeting, or at least a lot more of the guys that we're starting to see at the seminar who are getting responsibilities at a high school or collegiate level are a little more fluid in terms of personality. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that yeah. across the board because like what we saw in Texas Tex, uh, at the TA, the high school coaches association, but there are some progressive thinkers out there who, um, who I, I think maybe had that experience. Well, they, they appreciate the fact that they had a connection with their coach mm -hmm. and, and they strive to make that same connection with athletes, but it's like a yes. product of your environment. And, and I guess to anyone out there who, who, hated your strength coach and hated your fucking uh your head coach or your defense coordinator position coach whatever like you know those are the people who really have to take this into consideration if they're in a coaching job now and it's you know one of my mentors back in my previous job when i pushed pencils 
uh, you know, it's a, there's a common saying, like, you do business with people you know, like, and you trust. And I think the same thing goes for, like, uh, for going in full steam, uh, full bore into a training program. You're going to go, you're going to go to battle oftentimes, you know, and I'm not going to say there's a, there are exceptions, but you go to battle for, with, for someone that's in charge that you know, you like, and you trust. And there's yeah. a fear element in there as well, but uh, that's more of a subordinate type of uh, hierarchy and it's just where do you want to place yourself in in this pecking order and what's going to be the most valuable and that's that's experience you're to, that's going to be able to dictate that that was papa joe capucho you make money with friends yeah you know that was the deal like you uh you know like you, you got to be bought in you gotta you know you can't just rely on legacy to make a quote unquote connection with your athletes. I think so many athletes might feel a facade of connection because of a legacy of a coach or a legacy of like a, a program. But, you know, like uh, Luke said, the coaches that really, really need to sort of take this type of thing to heart are the ones that have been perpetually hated, you know, and they might be effective in all their facets of what they do. But like Texas saying, if you can't make that connection, I mean, uh, shit like you know what good are you really in terms of like reaching them on a deeper level and then it's going to be a resource game as well because there's probably some folk, there's probably some coaches out there who are like i have i have some roaches on my team that are doing nothing for me why should i make a connection <clears throat> for that guy if i don't see potential when i can try with these guys who are making a difference and i know coach this is uh, uh, like high school i mean but the the thing is that the university of texas which is really is, is a tough deal. I mean, it's a football machine. Like, uh, they have what, like, how, how many scholarships they have? Like, 75 scholarships? Yeah, 75, have? and then 100-plus guys on a team. Yeah, so so they're allowed, like, a certain amount of walk-ons. It's usually about 100, maybe, like, 103, 105. Those uh, 25 to 28 guys, you know what they call them? Hmm. Cannon fodder. What is it? Cannon, cannon fodder. fodder. Cannon you know fodder. what cannon fodder is? Uh, so Bantha fodder is <laughs> stuff that jams up the cannon. So yeah, the fodder is what they you know pack jam, in yeah. there. Yeah. So so like they're the cannon fodder, which it means that like the you actual... jam them in there so that the other players so like in, like like you need those guys for scout team. They need them for this. So the the coaches are focused on the scholarship athletes and they're not really expecting those guys to come in and do much. And but you know Tech actually made a great comment when he said those are the hardest working guys. Because one, they weren't scholarship guys. They're stoked to fucking be at Texas as a walk-on, and uh, they're looking to get better. And mm -hmm. you know, like the the worst thing to do, and like Tech saw this. Like you were, uh, uh, you know, you saw some scholarship guys that were getting their asses kicked and out trained by some of the walk-ons, and they were like, "Well, fuck yeah. him. He's a walk-on." Yeah. And so they, their their attitude wasn't adjusting. Yeah, and, and but I'm sure you also was there any guy that you ran into that was like a good player that was like 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 literally had enough pride to be like I'm not getting fucking beat by a walk on or I'm not getting beat by anybody. Oh, definitely. That that's the top of that bell curve. The guys that were extremely gifted athletes that also just had that that belief in the coach that every rep, every sprint, everything counted towards a national championship. You know, but when they started getting hurt that's when that coach connection just started to get a little bit shaky. Well, it's just like anything, like you walk into a, a, a CrossFit gym and uh, you know, there's a coach who's hurt a bunch of athletes. I mean, we, we had this happen. At or a regular gym, gym. Or a re regular gym or really any gym, yeah. but like a, you, this happened at, at my own gym where, you know, we had people come in and based on some programming and some things, there was a rash of fucking injuries. 
like back injuries, shoulder injuries, but people were getting fucking like annihilated. And what happens is all of a sudden people start, there's dissension. People are like, fuck, like what's going on around here? And the new people come in and they're like, why is everybody hurt? And like that shit like will poison an environment faster than anything. We were also running that fight club though. <clears throat> Two times a week. <laughs> well, yeah, this and but this is pre you guys. This is like this I know is, it's free us. Yes. Just yeah, in case anyone's is, wondering. Yeah, this is this is old school Balboa where uh, you know. Then we came die in. Without any scars. Then we came in and we gave. Everyone. Yeah, that was our motto. Like I don't want to die without scars. I mean, you know, we were skull and crossbones. I mean, it was a a, a, a fucking, girl workout every day. Yeah, it was fucked up. It was like a it was a it was some work. brutal shit. And but that's uh you know. That's just how it rolled, and I think that was uh, we've seen an evolution of that mentality. Where I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you can find some spots like that, but you got to go down to like Tijuana to find those type of places. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to go down to like a Revolucion, yeah. a bottle of tequila, and a fucking fresh tattoo to make that shit happen. Well, if anyone hasn't read the the trilogy, uh, Power Coach trilogy that Texas put out, please uh, visit the site and make sure you guys get a read on that because there's some really good yeah i will i will say one last thing with that is uh, yeah. I, what i missed missed out on uh coaching at a crossfit gym is that ability to read to read athletes because i mean they only come in they have real lives they have things going on so they only come in three times a week when they're feeling it but when you're forced to work with an athlete five to six days a week then you really start to see the ups the downs and the emotions that they're feeling day in and day out with the training so that's a, that's one thing that's going to be difficult to practice if you're taking this approach in a in a CrossFit environment. Sure. You know, and uh, I always think back to from my college days. Uh, you know, there were so many other. You know, like football was obviously the reason I was there. I mean, even though they you know claimed we were there for school, it wasn't. But you know, you you know, you go to school full time, and like at the time, you know, like full cat, you know, like classes, the whole deal, football, that you're kind of like. You know, oh, it's so much. Now I think about it, I was like, those were the simplest times of my life. You have to worry about anything other than going to class and lifting some weights and like. Everyone told you what to do at every time, yeah. at every moment. It was so, great. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like. You know, no decisions. Now what? I mean, it was uh, it was great, and um, I I think like you know a big part of that stuff is uh, and I say it dude, all the time, youth is lost on the on the young. I mean, it's like. Like wasted, on a... <laughs> wasted, lost. It's uh, it's one of those deals where you know I I think the worst thing they ever do is force kids at 18 years old to go to college. They should like force you to have to go work at Navistar for like five <laughs> years, or some other got like or come work at Power Athlete for five years, oh, yeah. and then you get to go to college and you'll be like fucking rage. <laughs> you'd be like I don't want to go. You'd be like that guy, and everybody that's been to college knows there was always that like older student that came back who was always asking questions you're like jesus christ stop asking questions you need to get the fuck out of here <laughs> i would be that older point be like professor we'll talk about it at office hours he's like see you at office hours again john i'll be like i'll fucking be there all day so excited bring the beer i'll be like yeah i'm like is, is there anything more i can read because you know the 40 books you gave me this semester just really wasn't enough you know like that type of ass kissing I'm like god damn you my wife made you brownies so, uh, text, now stop. With the Blondies. Stop with the sweets. Ice cream. Okay. I, I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, text, what's, uh, give us a little recap. Wade's Army 2014. Uh, just, just real quick, uh, Heather, just a couple weeks ago, she told us about where our 2013 uh, funds that we raised have gone. No, 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 no. 13. Oh. So, research takes, takes a while to basically you know, get the money going, get the green light and everything. So our 2013 funds have been approved and uh, it was originally supposed to be around 15. 
but they expanded it to 90 kids that wouldn't otherwise get treatment that are now going into just a, a phase one clinical trial. So they're going to get an opportunity to essentially save their lives that they wouldn't normally have where wow. their parents couldn't afford the treatment. So that's where 2013 went. And uh, I'm just going to pull up to um, our 14 studies. But uh, it's it was an amazing year for us. I mean, John, do you have anything to add? Yeah, no, I, I, Kate and I were over the moon when we, uh, we we learned that. I mean, you know, you never think that like one person or a group of small group of uh, highly skilled, intelligent, good looking, um, abnormally thick people can make a difference. <laughs> oh, thanks, Chad. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> uh, can, can make a difference. But, uh, you know, I, I always go back to when um, Kate said to me, you know, is there something we can do to help, uh, you know, in, in, in Wade's memory? And I was like, well, you know what? Like, uh, let's see if we can mobilize the, you know, the then CrossFit football and the power of the larger power athlete nation and see what we can do. And I know that when Kate hit up Heather and Scott, Scott's comment was like, well, what are some guys in the gym going to do? And not realizing who we were and the reach that we had. And, and I remember Kate's like, you know, he, this is what he said. I was like, fucking awesome. Let's throw the gauntlet out. Yeah. And you know what? Like we raised that money. And um, uh, I think they, you know, Heather and Scott were like, Jesus, we didn't realize that uh, the, the reach of, you know, our family went as far as it did. And we were able to raise that money and, you know, put some trick designs. So and then we uh, actually got rid of this hack designer that we had named me and brought in the, the, uh, the hair bear to come yeah. in and fucking create some amazing, uh, amazing designs and really help us create an identity. And, and um, Texas has taken an incredible lead. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't be more proud of where this is going, the success and the mission and uh, the fact that the money we raised was able to go Great to research, and now here we are, you know, being able to help 90 kids get into treatment. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't be more proud of it. And I think, um, I mean, I wrote about it in our lessons learned that you, you got to you gotta give something back. You got to do something that's bigger than you and uh, leave the world a better place. Yeah, leave basically. the world a better place. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, dude, I'm, uh, I, I have, uh, can't it. thank people enough for contributing. And uh, anytime I see a Wade's Army T-shirt, like I just like you know we we we've been to seminars you see and like person just gets a hug like you're the man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean if you think about when you throw that sucker on, I mean it, it was meant to be a badge of honor, and that's what we were we were like it should be a badge of honor. So when you see someone or you you yourself put that sucker on, like remind yourself that you gave 90 kids a, a second chance. Yeah. I mean at therapy or treatment that they would never have gotten without without that. Sh the shirt, I guess. I don't know. I just yeah. like that's what I connect to every time I throw that sucker on. That's why we do it. I mean, that's you know, yeah. that's the coolest part. So, I see people always wear those it's like Wade's Army. I'm like, dude, it's awesome. So, it's great. I mean, well, we will be back this year for sure with a vengeance. Harder. Jack, you got to go. Yeah, just uh, just for the Wade's Army, we're gonna we're gonna kick one off at the end of winter. So we're gonna do a 30 days to Wade campaign. And then last year we had a few runners who uh, just kind of started their own little fundraising page with us on our stay classy site and they they were running for Wade so we're going to actually kind of uh take some sponsorship leadership on that and if anybody wants to run for Wade we can we can pay your initial race fee and then get your get your uh fundraising page started with us and we can just give you a shirt have that uh that uniform and just let it go so big things coming in 2015. all right Cool. Um, all right. Good podcast, guys. I think that wraps it up for today. No problem. Thank you very much. 
Well, that concludes another episode of Power Athlete Radio. If you like what you hear, please, please, please head over to iTunes and give us some feedback. Want to get more involved with Power Athlete? Of course you do. Go to Power Athlete HQ to become a member. And as soon as you do, you'll become part of our community, which gives you access to hundreds of premium articles, programming, and so much more. Oh, and don't forget about the hashtag squat face challenge. If you're looking for examples of our own squat face challenge photos, visit our Instagram page. That's username Power Athlete HQ. You have until January 16th to submit your own hashtag squat face challenge photo for the chance to receive a free Power Athlete t-shirt. Well, that about does it for this episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye!